Hi, and welcome to Beyond Prisons, a podcast on incarceration and prison abolition. I'm one of your hosts, Kim Wilson. In this episode, Brian and I discuss a video published by Critical Resistance that features Professor Dylan Rodriguez talking about policing and police practice. The video is available on YouTube and we link to it in the show notes. We encourage you to spend a few minutes watching the video before listening to this episode. We chose this video because Professor Rodriguez helps us to interrogate the way that we think about the police. He makes the case for why policing is a more accurate term than police brutality and urges us to think about why some people need to demonstrate their humanity by hugging cops. Brian and I used the points made by Professor Rodriguez to further discuss what it means when abolitionists and other activists are willing to make exceptions for some people to go to prison, and what kinds of conversations we need to have to shift people's consciousness about punishment. We push back against the idea that prison and other legal punishments are forms of accountability, and we lay the groundwork for upcoming episodes on this topic. We hope that you find this episode useful. Nice to be back, Brian. Good to talk yes. to you again. Good to talk to you as well. Um, one thing that I wanted to quickly say before we get into the subject matter today is just that, uh, you know, our apologies for being a little bit behind on coming out with episodes. It was a confluence of things, including... Uh, we had scheduled and conducted some interviews to do for uh, the gladiator fights, continuing that conversation. Um, I don't think we're done with that yet either, but we, I know that I had, had done some interviews and then CDCR came out and said that they were halting the fights, which is a whole can of worms that we will get into on another date. And it kind of rendered moot some of the, some of the interviews that I had done. So we had to start trying to reschedule things and, that was difficult. And so uh, it was just sort of a, a lot of bad luck. Um, but I'm really glad to be getting back into this. Um, and we have some other exciting things that maybe we won't quite talk about yet. But I'll just say that we have exciting things that we're working on in the background as well. Um, we're here. We're not gone. So I just wanted to, to start by saying that. I don't know if you had anything you wanted to add to that. Um, no, I'm going to leave it there for now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah so why don't we go ahead and um jump right into it so there's been a lot of conversation um about you know policing and the police uh and you know we hear terms like police brutality extrajudicial police killings um and what have you and uh we both felt that it would be important for us to sit down and have a conversation today um, about what we're talking about as abolitionists when we're talking about, you know, the police uh, and abolishing the police, because I think that that kind of gets left out of much of the conversation. Um, and, you know, to, to lay the groundwork here, we're um, using uh, video that was produced by Critical Resistance, uh, in which they interview uh, Professor Dylan Rodriguez, um, and on this issue, and he's talking about you know police brutality, or it's not police brutality, but it's the practice of policing, as he puts it. Mm -hmm. So we thought it would be a useful conversation uh, for us uh, for us to have. Do you want to add something to that, Brian? Yeah, I mean, I think the the we'll share this video as well as some other resources that we're going to touch on today. Um, I think that the point that he makes in the beginning of the video, and that's the crux sort of of the video, which is titled It's Not Police Brutality, is that when we're talking about police violence, it is state sanctioned. And so it is policing. And to call it brutality is to give it the idea that there are certain acts of police violence that are exceptional and outside of the boundaries of policing, when in reality, that is policing. And I think one of the things um, that he says in the course of the beginning of this video that I think is really important to point out is that police throughout their history, and especially right now, um, they're always testing the boundaries mm -hmm. of 
of what that violence looks like, what that surveillance, what that control looks like, what policing can be defined as and they can get away with. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I think that that was just a really interesting um, thing to point out. And um, I know that I personally have used the term police brutality. It's thrown around a lot, but I do think that it makes a difference to, and, and it's worth looking at our language and our rhetoric and to call it what it is, which is policing. Policing, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I think that um, the language that we use to describe, you know, uh, different phenomenon uh, and different things, it, particularly in this space, and if we're, you know, approaching it from an abolitionist perspective, is really um, is really crucial to helping us, you know, one shift the way that we think about these uh, about these things, but also uh, to shift what we think is possible um, mm -hmm. in relation to you know the current situation. So um, I know you know, and it's related to um, the course that I'm uh, currently teaching. I spend a lot of time talking about language um, and you know, that word choice matters and that the language we use uh, when we're talking about prison abolition and uh, policing is really important. And I think that, you know, that point that he makes at the beginning of the video where he says that we need to stop relying on the language and the rhetorics of uh, police brutality really, you know, really nails it right there. Um, because uh, even, even for folks who are um, activists, um, and, you know, even for movements, uh, a lot of the rhetoric and a lot of the language centers around police brutality. Um, and it's not, as he says, it's not police brutality, it's police practice. Um, right. and yeah, so I think that, you know, uh, getting a little bit deeper, um, into the video, uh, where he, addresses um, the history of policing and talks about, you know, that the things that we're seeing currently are not necessarily new, but this is an old form of policing, right? As right. Um, you pointed out earlier, where, you know, they're constantly pushing the boundaries of what it is that they can do. Um, and, you know, and, and we need to examine that and we really need to deeply interrogate that as we're having these conversations about what to do, right? So we're not even touching on, you know, quote unquote, alternatives to the police at this point. We're just looking at this thing that we're calling policing, right? right. <laughs> and, and what do we, you know, what is that thing right now? And what are the implications of leaving that institution, that system um, intact, you know, and just kind of saying, well, we, you know, all we need to do is hold one or two individuals accountable under the same system, you know, of quote unquote justice. Um, and yeah, and, and that that's enough. And that's right. not enough, right? So it's not about focusing on individuals and individual behavior, although that's important, right? We need mm -hmm. to um, address, you know, um, the, the problems around individual actors in this case. Um, but we really need a systemic analysis of the problem. If we are not looking at this in terms of the overall system, of the police and policing, uh, we're really not going to get anywhere. We're really not understanding why this problem is not changing. Right. I think also, you know, one of the, the things that this really made me think about is how when we use certain rhetoric and it directs our attention to one place, how it sort of makes more like mundane and acceptable all of these other things, right? Like he's talking about with police brutality, he's talking about sort of in our uh, contemporary, like in our, uh, in this moment, we focus a lot on, um, on sort of the spectacle of like literal death of these sort of like 
ideas of, uh, you know, someone running from the police with their hands up and getting shot in the back and how that becomes sort of like the line that is crossed. And that Mm -hmm. makes sort of all of these other, I don't want to call them mundane, but I guess all of these other aspects that may not be as sensational on their face, um, it, it sort of normalizes them, you know, like the, the psychological stress of living and being, uh, in a policed community or of a policed identity or, um, you know, I, I think expanding it to like the brutality of occupying a role that sends people into a system of brutality, you know, Mm -hmm. not just the actual policing, but where that policing leads, you know, how, Mm -hmm. uh, I, I just, I thought that that was a really interesting um, yeah. thing to raise as well. Just how we, we talked about this with prisons as well, like how when we focus sort of myopically on one sort of exceptional, sensational aspect, which I'm not saying isn't important and isn't appalling and isn't worth our attention, but how when that becomes the cause celeb, when that becomes like the the major focal point of, uh, like, for instance, a reform movement, what it says about everything else and how we as a society feel about it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. Um, I was just thinking, you know, uh, to one of the points that you just made uh, earlier there with regards to the differentiating between the spectacles um, and these sensational cases that, you know, we could go over. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm looking, I'm sitting here looking at statistics currently, um, on this and I had to go back and check, uh, in terms of, you know, how many people have been shot and killed by the police in 2019. And to date, uh, at least according to the Washington post, it's been 713 people that have been shot and killed by the police. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's important to acknowledge. And it's important for us to understand, uh, that violence and what that does to people. But what happens is that it overshadows and it obscures the fact that policing on an everyday level is really deeply fucked up and problematic and that we cannot ignore that part of it because these other things are happening. So it's not, you know, our analysis needs to be a both and rather than an either or. We can't just focus on the sensational spectacles of individual killings, which are important. And no one is saying that we, you know, leave that alone. Obviously that's, you know, part of, and a huge part of what's driving much of this conversation. But we also cannot ignore all of the other ways in which the police um, are part of our lives, right? So, you know, I go to sleep at night. Um, a couple weeks ago, I had, you know, cops, uh, that were blocking, you know, my street and they were out there for like four hours. So the lights were just, you know, they, they didn't have the sirens on, but their lights were blaring and blinking right into the front of the house. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's like, whenever I drive, if I go somewhere and I have a cop behind me, which happened to me the other night when I was coming home, I always tense up. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's just the idea of having to interact with the police in any way. Um, You know, it's like, we see them on our campuses, we see them in schools, um, you know, everywhere. They are absolutely everywhere. And we are trained and taught and socialized to think of the police as people that are going to help us. And that's a problem. I mean, we, we need to attack those kind of, you know, things as well as yeah. we're discussing um, the other things. So I think that that, um, when uh, Rodriguez raises this in in the video, I think that you know that's also a key point, and it's really, really super important for us to you know to talk about that. Yeah, um, and I know for me, just just quickly, like one thing that it came to mind for me, and that I was uh, that I saw come out in one of the other readings that you shared with me that we're going to share in the episode notes is like I know that walking around here in Portland, like if I see people getting in a fight on the street or a situation where you can imagine the police being called 
like I think that is also the the stress of that and like I I don't know what exactly to say about it but I I just think that like not only just seeing the police around but knowing like the threat of the police coming I think Mm -hmm. is, is like equally sort of like uh stressful and traumatic in its own right for a lot of people it's anxiety producing and you know i think that the longer that i've been doing this work and the more um aware that i've been in terms of you know and intentional about avoiding all interactions with the police um the more anxious I become mm-hmm. when I can anticipate that there might be an encounter either, you right. know, that I'm going to have or that someone around me might have as a result of that. Right? right. So if I see people arguing on the street and, you know, it's like, and it, there's not a safe way for me to, <laughs> you know, in intervene. And I'm mm-hmm. not suggesting that, you know, we go out there and we just become those people that just, you know, right. like try to disrupt everything. Um, that's a whole separate conversation, but I'm always like so concerned, uh, especially when it's, you know, black and brown people yeah. um, that, that are involved in, in that, situation because it just historically it never turns out well for us um and yeah so I think that you know the the deep anxieties that people feel um about interacting with the police and a lot of people are very comfortable with having or calling the police on other people um, and you know may not be so comfortable (laughs) having the the police called on them. Um, Absolutely. And and I I don't want to get into specifics and, you know, individual things like that because opening up a whole, you know, can of worms. But um, I do want to say that if we don't give folks viable alternatives to, you know, calling the police, and if we don't have conversations with the people in our lives, um, the people around us that we live around, you know, our neighbors and, you know, folks in our communities um, about, you know, about these things, it's really difficult to um, attack someone because that's the thing that we're taught uh, taught to do, right? Right, so right. It's like, you call your doctor and if you don't reach your doctor, what's the recording say? If this is a true medical emergency, please hang up and dial oh, one. Yes, you're right, right. You're right. You're right. So we're, we're constantly being told to call the police. We're constantly right. being told to call the police. It's not something that, you know, it's like from the time you're little, you teach, you know, like I was, you know, when I was young, I was told how to, dial 911, right? Yep. So when my kids were young, they were taught how to call 911, right? It's like that's you know, that's something that many of us kind of take for granted. It's like, you know, but again, like you go to any emergency room, you know, anywhere, um it's like the police are right there. Yeah. Like I don't know if you go, you know, to I mean, it's like I've been to the hospital here and it's like you have to go through, you know, metal detectors and mm-hmm. there are actual police in the waiting room. Right. And in the lobby of in, in not private security, actual police. Right. Yeah. So, you know, they're ever present. They're all around us. They're ever present. And it's this you know, it reinforces the idea, you know, that on the one hand, they're there to protect you and help you, um, while simultaneously, they pose, you know, a threat and sometimes a lethal, you know, threat uh, to many of us, uh, depending on, you know, what our racial identity is, um, gender identity, and and what have you. So I think that, Calling that into question um, is is also an important part of this. Um, yeah. What else from the video? Um, the other thing, 
Yeah, the other thing, which I, which I, again I think is like very relevant to the moment we're in. You know, particularly we, we just had the trial and conviction of Amber Geiger, the police officer involved in the the killing of Botham Jean. Um, uh, you know, Dylan Rodriguez talks about these rare instances when the cops are held to the legal system, which he very specifically differentiates from the concept of accountability, which I think is very important, and how this is celebrated by activists when in fact it's a celebration of an exception and not the rule. And again, sort of like what what this does uh, rhetorically, what this does in terms of the framework that we bring to these issues. Um, and again, like our our concept of justice and, you know, what I believe we've talked about on this show, but like the idea that somehow, you know, when I, when I see people celebrating the jailing of cops as, you know, well, at least something was done in response to this horrible act of violence, there's no getting around the fact that it justifies the system as like a viable way to respond to an incident like this. Right. And it, and in doing so justifies the violence that the system uh, provides to all, you know, uh, the whole uh, swath of marginalized identities um, and communities. And um, I think that, uh, you know, he also the other thing that I just wanted to point out and then I'll let you know, you, of course, add anything you want um, is this concept of. Um, the history of experiencing policing and again how this is like a boundary pushing and a boundary crossing and so when we have these exceptions that do make it through the court system and do end up uh, uh, you know sending cops to jail that this is a testing of the boundaries like is this person going to get away with it or uh, and in doing so does that justify uh, certain other kinds of violence that police commit and excuse other ones or, um, or not. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh God, where to begin? Um, I'm not celebrating anyone going to prison. Um, yeah. and I think that, you know, part of having an abolitionist lens um, and a set of, you know, principles um, that we can draw upon to help us understand and refine those lenses um, is an important part of the kind of work that needs to happen in terms of, you know, our own individual and collective um, shifting you know, uh, around these issues, because, you know, if, if that, and, and I get, I mean, I, I get why it feels like a win for a lot of people. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, I, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about individual cases. I think that, um, the, that looking at it broadly and historically, um, gives us a lot and it folks can apply that to the individual cases um if if they choose but um you know it when we're when i see or hear people celebrating this and you you and i had a conversation about this um and i think you said something along the lines of well a lot of people were saying i'm an abolitionist but right, right. and <laughs> fill in the blank there right so the idea that you can make exceptions for some people to be swallowed up into this system that we're contesting and that we're saying is really deeply fucked up and needs to go is not abolitionist, right? And it's not helpful. And it doesn't actually further the conversation in a way that, you know, would allow us to create a space to bring these things into question and have, you know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't want to call it a productive conversation, but to have a different kind of conversation, right, mm -hmm. that we're not currently having, and it's limited by 
I mean, honestly, a lack of people's imagination, because if accountability for you means, you know, locking someone up and, you know, indefinitely, um, then I, 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 and I hate saying this, um, but, you know, that's kind of where I am, at least right in this moment today. Um, you know, you got to catch me when I'm like, a little more relaxed and <laughs> you know, feeling, you know, a lot more, um, I don't know, um, a lot more goodwill, um, if you will. But if, if that's where you are uh, in terms of, you know, your thinking um, around this, um, I don't know. I, I'm not, how do I put it? I, I don't even have, I don't even have good words to put it. I feel like we need to do more work. I'll put it that way. We need to do more work. Um, and I'm not sure I'm the person to do that work with these folks. Um, I think that, you know, the, the kind of political education um, that needs to happen needs to address a lot of those, you know, issues so that people can have a way to, analyze right so and it's you know we're saying analyze if, as if the analysis somehow miraculously transforms into you know into practice but you need to begin somewhere right yeah. you need to begin somewhere you need to engage people in these conversations so that you know and you're going to deal with all of their you know defense mechanisms all of the things that they're going to say that you know, or like, well, no, they're going to try to shut you down and shut you up and tell you that, you know, you're wrong or that, you know, it's pie in the sky thinking. I mean, as abolitionists and, and activist folks and folks that do political education, um, we hear this all the time. Like we hear these things all of the time. Right. So we know how to we know how to talk with folks um, and, and folks that approach us in good faith. Right. I, yeah. I want to underscore that That's because there are a lot of people who are approaching us in bad faith as an attempt to derail and silence, you know, the conversation. And those aren't the folks that, you know, I'm necessarily trying to reach. Someone's got to reach them. I'm not saying just leave them out there. Someone's got to reach them. I'm not, I'm just saying I'm not that person perhaps. Um, and maybe I, yeah, maybe other people are going to say, no, that's really, that's also part of your job. Um, we might have to have that conversation. There's only so much of me to go around. <laughs> well, you know, you don't have to be that person 100% of the time either. You know, like I think there's times when it makes sense in context that, in which it makes sense. And there's other times in context, including just generally how you're feeling where I don't, where it doesn't, you know, I don't mm -hmm. think you have to like be 100% a type of person all the time that's just unrealistic mm -hmm. for how people operate um and i going back to what you were saying before like when it comes to like i'm an abolitionist but like in response to this stuff like i i also get it like a lot of times when i see those comments it comes from a place of like rage and of anger about what has happened and how it's part of like a longer line of violence that goes uh that goes unaddressed you know mm -hmm. and so it's kind of like well i'm an abolitionist but like damn it feels good to see someone else hurt you know uh and i understand that and i don't want to tell anyone how to feel you know necessarily especially in response to these kinds of acts of violence but i know that for me personally it's constantly trying to check myself not to engage in that logic you know because that is the 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 logic that upholds all of this right like mm -hmm. that like you can uh that if somebody commits an act of violence it's okay to, to just crush them and just mm -hmm. destroy them and again like it has to be said that doesn't mean that there's no consequences that doesn't mean that there's no expression of that rage but when it yeah. comes to crushing people as a response, I think that that flies in the face of the abolitionist project. And I think it's our, our duty to try to um, keep ourselves in check as much as we can, you know, uh, on that point. Yeah. And I mean, and a, and a 
check each other, but yeah. you know, not not in that horrible Twitter garbage yes. way um, yeah. <laughs> of checking people. But you know, something I I posted a while back, um, and I, I shared it on social media. I said I get why a guilty verdict seems like justice to so many people. Uh, but this is the same system that cages and kills many black and brown people, right? So if we're celebrating anyone going to prison, um, whether it's, you know, for short term or for life, um, you really don't want to see this system abolished, right? And mm -hmm. and I said that. I'm like, you need to say that, right? Like, yeah. be honest with yourself. It's not, uh, well, I'm, an, you know, uh, and, and not that there's a perfect way to be an abolitionist, right? I'm not, you know, I, I don't want to engage in, you know, gatekeeping because I know that that's a real, real thing. And it's super problematic um, in a lot of spaces. And I've had to leave, you know, many kind of movement spaces because there was a kind of, you know, gatekeeping that was happening. So I'm not trying to say that there's, you know, one way to be an abolitionist, um, saying that we need to really interrogate what it means to be an abolitionist. Are there, you know, some core principles um, that, you know, I'm not sure that we can all agree on, but, you know, at least something that we can look at so that we can say, okay, you know, um, this thing is in contradiction to the values that we have or that we say we have. And it's really difficult to live your values, right? Absolutely. It's really difficult to live your values. Um, I try every day and I fail almost every day. Um, but, you know, I feel like um, getting clear around, you know, these things or on these things, not necessarily around them, um, is one way that we can help, you know, further conversations um, and efforts towards abolishing and dismantling um, not just the prisons, but police, right? And policing. Yeah. Uh, and as long as people are, you know, captivated by legal forms of justice, right? Or legal definitions of justice um, in the terms of, you know, in terms of, putting people in cages um, for many, many, many years, that that's a problem. Um, one thing that um, Rodriguez uh, said in the video um, that I want to touch on is that um, we really need to question why um, in order to, you know, why a lot of people feel that in order to demonstrate our humanity, right, that we need to do it by hugging fucking cops, right? <laughs> right? And it's like, and he says, um, you know, I, I really appreciated uh, what he said there. He said, you know, why do we need to demonstrate our humanity by demonstrating one's love for a person who inhabits an inhuman, right? Not inhumane, an inhuman position, right? And he calls policing not subhuman, he calls it inhuman. Right. And I think that that was such, you know, th that point was so well made. Right. And it's just like, oh, yes, yes. Like, I mean, I, why are we even doing this episode? We could just play the video and, you know, tell people to just watch the video because he basically says that. All, this is, all, a, this all is a very long trailer for the video. Right? So. <laughs> <laughs> the video, it's like already, you know, 40 minutes long and it's like the video was what, six? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. We roll around here. But. Um, yeah, I, I really appreciated that point too. Um, I think I don't know where it comes from, but there is this this sort of trend, or I don't know what to call it. I'll call it a trend, but maybe that's not the best word. But this idea that like when we're asserting our humanity, that we have to like we have to show love and and well, maybe not compassion, but like we have to embrace the it, it, like i see this in, in like uh in like partisan politics a lot right like we got to reach across the aisle to the republicans and we got to you know find 
common ground and, you know, like respect and love each other. There was all this bullshit with Ellen and George W. Bush. Uh, I don't know oh, if you God. saw, which I feel like is like hugging a cop in a way, you know, but even like worse, like hugging like, you know, a war criminal. A war criminal. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, I'm just going to uh, hang out here and chill with this war criminal. Like, fuck it. We just, you know, we, we just have a difference in opinion. Oh, no, there's no, something no, no. so. There's something so, I, I'm not sure I can even put my, my finger on it right now. And I'm interested to hear what, what you think. But that sort of open-ended like uh, understanding of love and understanding and, um, you know, just showing our humanity by like just ignoring the people who wish us dead, you know, uh, I, there's something so subversively violent and terrible about that. Um, and I've never really been able to under, you know, understand that. And again, it doesn't necessarily going back to what we were just talking about. It doesn't mean that you need to like kill those people or crush them, but you also don't, you, we have to be conscious about the message that is sent when but, that is your choice for showing your humanity. Go ahead. Sorry. I, I, I was just going to say, I mean, no, like just no, um, <laughs> yeah. the, the optics are really, you know, are really problematic, right? Um, and I, I was just really interesting. I uh, and I think I'm going to use this in my class tomorrow. But uh, last night I was, you know, working with my students, and then we were talking about, you know, how to analyze visual arguments, right? Mm -hmm. So if the argument is that in order to demonstrate your humanity, you have to hug a cop. Um, when, you know, you're at a protest because the cops have killed a bunch of people and, you know, it's like 700 plus this year, right? So mm -hmm. it's like, if that's the way to demonstrate your humanity, like maybe we need to have a conversation about what constitutes, you know, humanity, right? Mm -hmm. Like what does, you know, are there other ways that would be more useful and more helpful, right, to demonstrate our humanity, like I, I don't feel, I don't feel a responsibility to humanize the institution of the police. Right. right. That's that's not my job, right? And especially in that context. Now, that said, and I'm prefacing that comment, I will add that you know it becomes you know when when you're in when you're in a courtroom, courtrooms are everything about being in court is very scripted, right? Yep. You're told exactly what to do, what not to do. You're not permitted to show emotion, especially if you are at a sentencing, right? right? During a sentencing, any kind of outburst, including if, you know, you're responding to, um, you know, uh, a victim impact statement or something mm -hmm. like that, you know, like none of that is allowed. So you're supposed to sit there stoic and stone-faced and not say or do anything. Like you can't, you're not expected to, you know, or you're expected to not shed a tear or, or anything, right? And I find that, really fucked up and problematic, right? On oh. a lot of different levels, because everyone, you know, it's like when you're walking into a courtroom for something like that, everyone is stressed out. Everyone is hurting. Everyone is suffering, right? It's like, and we're not talking about the, you know, the power structure or the, you know, arms of the state that are there, the COs who are there, right. bailiffs and judge and, you know, folks like that, you know, it's like, Everyone else who's there, I mean, and obviously those folks are implicated, you know, in this system, but the script does not permit for any kind of deviation, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that there are ways to read, you know, um, those kinds of things, whether we're talking about in a courtroom or we're talking, you know, out in the street. We see this all the time. Like, I, I feel like every week there's a video or um, a, a photo circulating, you know, usually on, on some of these ridiculous websites um, that are out there 
you know, where they want to show little black children hugging cops mm-hmm. or, you know, a cop like hugging a little black girl or something like that. Or and like it's like playing basketball know, with kids. Yeah, or like, and then, yeah. You know, the fact that, you know, fucking cops just a couple months ago um, didn't, you know, just hold up an entire family outside of a dollar store because a two year old walk out, walked yeah. out with the ball. Right. Like uh, that is that moment supposed to help me forget that the institution of police is really garbage. Um, and it, and it doesn't, at least not for me, like it doesn't make it seem like, you know, um, it, it, it doesn't, it just doesn't cut it for me. Right. And I, I, again, you know, to, to underscore the point, I don't feel that we need to engage in those acts. I get why some people think that it might be, it makes them feel good or, you know, they get caught up in a moment. I don't know. I mean, it's like, whatever. Um, But I think that the (laughs) optics don't play well. Um, I don't think that it's, um, it's interrogated uh, very deeply. You know, it's like, it it all remains at a very surface level. Um, you know, in terms of the conversation, and it's like it gets reduced to, well, you know, um, they're a human being too, and you know, we need to be compassionate. And it's like, when has anyone ever reached over and grabbed, you know, and hugged someone who is accused of doing something? Yes, thank horrible? you. Thank when, you. When that. when does that ever happen? Right? When does the judge ever come down off of their bench and hug? you know, someone who's, you know, like, and I'm not going to pick a crime, you know, uh, just, you can figure that out for yourself. Sure, sure. Um, but it doesn't happen. Right. And right. in this instance, you know, that we're talking about without really talking about it, because I didn't want to talk about it, but here we are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the fact that it was a white police officer, a white female police officer, we cannot let go or ignore the misogyny, um, white supremacy, you know, and the long history of how white women in this country get treated as, you know, special, as Mm -hmm. different, as, you know, um, people that need to be protected, including by people that they have harmed, right? And all I could think about in that moment, and I didn't say this in social media, but I guess I'm going to say it now. Um, all I could think about was Emmett Till, right? Mm-hmm. Emmett Till was accused by a white woman of, you know, whistling and whatever, and he ends up, you know, dead, right? And it's like, and and what? Like, <laughs> it's it just, I mean, I can't imagine, I can't imagine Emmett Till's mother, Um reaching out and, and like, and hugging like, I I just like wrapping my head around that, um, was just such, like, I really actively had to avoid social media, um, during that period because I just, I could not take it. Well, and what does it say too? you know, just adding on to that about like, what, what message does it communicate if we, if we demonstrate humanity that way about, the consequences of being a part of an institution that engages in in this kind of violence you know um the idea that like it always strikes me as as basically saying like it's okay it's Mm -hmm. okay that you do these things you know because we're all human beings in kumbaya and you know maybe some people think that that is what like abolition or transformative justice is about, but it's, I think that there's something about, maybe I don't have like a fully formed idea here and I should just shut up, but there's something about the communication of what we think the consequences should be for an instant, for an institution that, that uh, has this mission, not even just acts this way, but like has this specific violent mission mm-hmm. that, that is our choice, you know? Does that make sense? I don't know if I'm making any sense. Absolutely. I mean, I think that when we talk about, um, when we're talking about justice and, you know, again, um, I'm really hesitant to use that language um, these days Mm -hmm. uh, because of, 
you know, what it actually means. Um, but that's the language that, you know, that people have, right? And again, if we're trying to shift consciousness, if we're trying to shift the conversation and shift what is possible, um, then we need to find new words, right? And there are other things that we yeah. can do, right, around this. Um, if that's what being just means, um, and again, this is this is a question um, that has been debated for thousands of years. We're not settling it on this podcast. Um, if we are, then we're really asking for for more subscribers. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, if we answer um, that question, please uh, donate on Patreon. We use right, your support. Right? But I feel like uh, accountability really gets reduced to right. what the criminal, you know, legal system um, can give us, right? And it's right. like, if right. that is all we have in terms of accountability, then we are, we are at a deficit. Like we're really operating without a lot of work and knowledge that people have been doing in communities across this country and around the world for, you know, a very long time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I think that, you know, that's a part of this conversation that needs to be had um, more deliberately. Uh, and I know that, you know, uh, folks like Mariam Kaba um, have been, you know, doing this work for decades, right? Decades, um, much, much longer than I have. Um, folks like Mimi Kim have been doing this work. Um, the group Insight uh, has done this work. And there are toolkits out there. We'll link to some of them. Um, but we're also, we also have um, some episodes coming up uh, that address these issues. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, talking about what do we mean by accountability? What does accountability look like? Um, what are consequences instead of punishment? Um, because again, so much of what we know is rooted in punishing, right? It's it the entire yeah. spectacle of you know going to court um, is rooted in punishment. That's not about accountability. There's no space for people that have harmed in the criminal legal system uh, or in a criminal legal sense, um, you know, or at least how it's defined there, uh, to express remorse. And that's part of taking accountability, um, that there's no space for people to um, be in community with, you know, with other folks that are going to help them. Um, because you can't just, you know, giving someone a long sentence is not accountability, right? right. It means it, it's what we take for accountability, right? And we hear this all the time. Like I, I just, every time I hear someone say, oh, well, you know, this person needs to be held accountable. What yeah. they mean is that this person needs to go to prison, mm -hmm. right? And we can't, we, we need to get clear about what it is that we actually want. Do we actually want to abolish the prison system and policing, or do we want to keep those systems intact and just tweak them a little bit and only some people get to go to prison, right? And it's right. like, I feel like a lot of people are more in that second camp than yeah. are in the, we need to really dismantle this entire system. And no, we don't want anyone going to prison, right? Which can be a really difficult thing to say, especially in, you know, the aftermath of some of the horrible fucked up shit that has been happening and that continues to happen. Right. And those are the times when it, when it really needs to be said, you know, uh, especially in, in the most egregious cases, because I feel like those are the ones that most often are used, you know, against the abolitionist project. Um, mm -hmm. We need to work on, and people, like you said, people have been working on for decades, uh, the answers to those questions. Um, and we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. Um, and, you know, on that point, I don't 
know, um, you know, one of the last things that I wanted to say about, again, Dylan's six minute video that we've gone on for, uh, <laughs> for almost an hour. That's uh, how we do around yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I do think that um, one of the things that he says towards the end that I think is something that we all need to be very deliberate about, especially as prison abolition gains momentum and gains traction and gains sort of like awareness uh, culturally or in, in the public mind um, is that we're not just talking about prisons, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, we call this podcast Beyond Prisons for that reason, but like there's no prison abolition without police abolition. And I would add, we also need to abolish the courts like we're talking about. You yeah, know, exactly. Like, like exactly. we need to be very deliberate about that. Um, because I don't know if maybe there are people out there who think like, yes, we'll abolish prisons, we'll have something else, but like, we'll still have the cops arrest people, you know, or like, we'll have some other court system, uh, that is pretty much the same thing, you know, like a drug court, you know, or like a, Mm -hmm. a mental health court or something like that. That is not the same thing, you know, that it's not what we're talking about. And Maybe there's not too much to say about this, but I did appreciate very much that Dylan said, um, you know, that that we can't allow we can't allow sort of like prison reform, which is increasingly adopting sort of the language and the rhetoric of abolition to exclude these other parts of the system that evolved alongside of it and in tandem with it uh to to somehow be seen as separate from this project because Mm -hmm. it's integral Mm -hmm. to this project yeah i don't know if if they're adopting the language i think they're co-opting the language of prison abolition and you know and twisting it and using it and then uh wedding that to things like restorative justice if the cops are doing restorative justice at their police station which happens um and is happening increasingly around the country um that's not what we're talking about here right right? it's like we're talking about creating systems and networks and providing things for people outside of the systems of prisons the police social services, which also act as a conduit to criminalizing and punishing people, Mm -hmm. sending them to prison and what have you, Um, the way that schools, you know, continue um, and increasingly have over the last, you know, 20 or 30 years um, to police, you know, students and to send those students, you know, um, to, to jail. And that becomes the way, you know, to do that. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I I think that when we're talking about um, having a radical opposition to the police, right, um, or to to prisons, it includes the police, it includes the court systems, it it includes all of the mechanisms that exist that make it possible for this system to continue, right? Mm -hmm. Like, all of that shit has to go. Like, I'm not playing. (laughs) all of that shit has to go and people are like well wait a minute what do you mean so you have to you know it's it's even I mean even if you go to therapy right you're if you're your therapist will ask you like when they do intake or something or you know they sense something's wrong you know are you feeling suicidal or homicidal if you answer yes to that you're going to be you know like your next encounter is with a cop Right. right And we need to have a very different, we need to create different systems, not systems that replicate or duplicate what currently exists. And for lack of imagination, for lack of not knowing what could possibly, you know, be out there, and this isn't to blame individual people, it's to say that collectively, you know, most folks have not been taught to think about, you know, these things beyond what we see on television. I mean, we mm-hmm. get a very, you know, large dose of cops are good and everyone else is trash, um, you know, on television, in film, you know, every single day, like every single day. 
every single day. You can't. And not turn just on that, the- but like that, cops are the the like the 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 thin blue line between like society and barbarism. Like it's oh. not even just that we're taught that like the cops are the good guys, but that like we are taught to defend the idea of police vehemently, you know, like yeah. with passion because that is, as they say, law and order. That is yeah. what makes us yeah. like a, a society, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. I wanted to, I wanted to share something because, you know, please. we talked about this a little bit earlier and um, I had the, um, or have the, creative interventions toolkit um, open because um, again, I'm kind of, you know, I'm preparing for class as well. And um, one of the things that is in the, um, in a CI toolkit is uh, a definition of accountability, right? And there are multiple definitions of accountability. And again, when we get to that point, you know, uh, when we have that uh, conversation, we'll share um, the tools that, that we're talking about and that, and that we've used. But it says here, in brief, accountability is the ability to recognize and and take responsibility for violence. Mm-hmm. We usually think of the person doing harm as the one to be accountable for violence. Community accountability also means that communities are accountable for sometimes ignoring, minimizing, or even encouraging violence. Communities must also recognize and take responsibility for violence by becoming more knowledgeable, skillful, and willing to take action to intervene in violence and to support social norms and conditions that prevent violence from happening in the first place, right? So the idea of, you know, um, accountability as, um, at least as it's largely discussed or imagined uh, tends to put the onus of responsibility on the individual that does harm Mm -hmm. rather than looking at it in terms of how did the community fail, right? How did the community fail? And I think that, you know, and, and folks may not like that approach or may think that, you know, there's a different way to do it. Great. I mean, that's part of the conversation. We can, we can talk about that. Um, But I think that, you know, because it pushes back against the the idea of individual accountability and that you can't do this kind of work alone, um, that, you know, it that's really significant. Right. I, I appreciate that concept, too, because it's like, I remember reading in, in the CI toolkit, like, there are patterns to violence, right? And there's like escalations to violence. And there are things that people turn, people who are in community with people who eventually commit violence that they let slide, you know, because maybe it's it's not a comfortable conversation or maybe they don't feel like it's their place to intervene. And those things escalate and they they, you know, become patterns. And then those sort of become like the eventual you know, sometimes like catastrophic incident that will end up with somebody in prison, right? And so what I really appreciate about um, about community accountability is that recognition that we all have responsibility for one another, that mm-hmm. we all have responsibility for recognizing patterns of behavior in other people and building that skill and, you know, intervening before things reach that that point you know mm-hmm. so anything else you want to say um yeah i mean i i think we could you know we could probably keep going if um you know on this on this topic but again i, I we wanted to really focus on um the the critical resistance video uh featuring you know Dylan Rodriguez and have a conversation uh, specifically around, you know, the policing practice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we've, I think we've accomplished that for today. There's a lot more to say, um, you know, regarding policing. Um, we can talk about the history of policing. We can talk about abolitionist steps to policing, uh, and I think we'll do that, you know, as well at some point. Um, but I think this is a, you know, really good start in terms of, you know, getting folks to um, think about these issues. And again, we'll link 
the video in the show notes um, and, you know, encourage everyone out there to watch it and to um, and to start these conversations in whatever space you're in, um, because that's really that's really what it's uh, that real that really is what it's going to take. Right. Yeah. Um, I can get that out, but uh, <laughs> you know, it, it just, I, I think that people feel like they need to start a movement um, and that usually it's much more mundane uh, and run of the mill mm-hmm. and not very exciting. And there's no photo ops for just, you know, sitting across the table from someone um, and saying, okay, so I saw this, you know, great video um, and yeah. let's talk about it. Or, you know, it usually happens in, in my class. It's like we have a conversation about something, an issue or something that's come up. And my students, as they're leaving, they're like, oh God, I'm always so angry when I leave this class. And I'm like, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> job, um, job you know, well it's like, it just, yeah, like I, you should be angry. It's like, yeah. you, you should feel unsettled. You shouldn't feel comfortable when you're hearing, you know, when you're hearing these things, it's like, it's not meant to be, you know, soft and fluffy. Like it, this is really gruesome stuff. Yeah. On that Absolutely. happy note. Yeah. And I would just add like, um, you know, it might be helpful for folks, especially people who are maybe like newer to this podcast and haven't listened to back episodes. Uh, we haven't, we have a lot more to say on this and I'm sure we'll return to this in future episodes. I'd also suggest going back to our, uh, episode with Devin Springer, where we talk about, um, mental health and the police. We also had an episode with Alex Vitale on the, on his book, the end of policing, which touches on some of the history of the police and their function throughout history. Um, so go back through the archives. And I also wanted to just, again, you know, thank people for their patience as, uh, as we sort of pull together episodes and, and do some work. We're here. We're not, we're not disappeared or anything. So. Thank yeah. You and I mean, I, I'll just say to that, it's like, you know, um, it's doing this work on top of having to do paid work, um, the job, the things that keep a roof over our head and food on the table and things like that. And this isn't a complaint, but this is to acknowledge the fact that so many activists are giving of themselves. And, you know, we tend to obscure the fact that our needs get pushed aside. Um, And, being able to prioritize our needs, even if it means that sometimes we're not visible or, you know, um, listenable, is that even a word? Um, We're we're not creating, you know, podcasts. Uh, It's not that we're not doing work. We're doing a lot of the work of, you know, having to attend to our families and having to take care of, uh, you know, different things because, you know, that's, that's real you know, that's real. And that's, that's basically what's going on. Um, I don't want to apologize um, for that. I just want to acknowledge that that's kind of where we are and where we have been. Um, And uh, yeah, but to say, you know, also that I appreciate um, our audience. I know that, you know, we've gotten um, a lot of uh, folks following us on, um, on Instagram. And, uh, I appreciate that. I have been, I'm a lazy Instagrammer. Like I'm lazy on social media in general. Um, so, you know, I appreciate that folks keep, you know, every time I go and check our social media, um, especially like Facebook or, or Instagram, um, I'm like, oh my gosh, when did we get like 25 new followers? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I, I get that in for a lot of people that doesn't seem like a lot, but I'm like, I, how many posts do I even put out? Like not that many. Um, and again, it's, it's also because I find social media really taxing. Um, and I have a very low threshold for how much I can, you know, engage and interact and be on there. And I get that it's important. Um, and it, you know, we're always saying that, you know, you should follow us on social media and what have you. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it's, 
also the reality that, you know, that's also work and it's emotional labor um, that, you know, can be draining. I I don't have the energy um, and I don't feel the need to constantly chime in on every single thing that's happening. Um, I'm glad that there are folks who have the capacity to do that. I'm simply not one of them. Um, I, I don't know. No, thank you for saying all of that. That had to be said. Cool. Um, all right. So all right. we're going to leave it there, folks. Um, yeah. We'll talk Thanks, soon. Brian. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Right. Bye. Bye. We'd like to thank you for listening to Beyond Prisons. If you find our work valuable, we ask that you head over to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe to Beyond Prisons. You can support our work by sharing this and past episodes on social media. If you're financially able to support us, you can do so for as little as $1 per month on Patreon at patreon.com backslash beyondprisons. Over the past few months, we've had a volunteer transcribe many of our episodes, and we expect to make those transcriptions available soon. If you'd like to volunteer to help us transcribe our podcast, please contact us at beyondprisonspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.